Hello, and welcome to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalists. We are a vibrant liberal religious community that treasures diversity, practices justice, and teaches love and respect for everyone. We grow spiritually through worship, shared learning, and service, and relationships that go deep. As we say each Sunday, whoever you are, whomever you love, whatever your image of the holy, your presence here is a gift. All are worthy, all are welcome. Good morning. I am Nan Hart, your worship associate today, and it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Williamsburg Unitarian Universalist online worship service. Our greeter today is Susan Childs. Our guest speaker today is Nikki Pete from the Williamsburg Buddhist Sangha, as well as John Chowning and Sue Walkley. And I'm, hold on a minute, sorry. <laughs> All right, we also have, boy. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm having a little technical difficulty here, okay. We also have our Director of Religious Education, Austin Peterson, and Assistant Director of Music, Dave Robbins. If you'd like to follow along with the order of service, I invite you to visit wuu.org to download a copy. If you're visiting today, we're so glad you're here. We invite you to say hi by typing a quick note into the Zoom chat. And if you'd like to sign up for our email list, please fill out our online visitor form at wuu.org. After the service, we invite you and everyone to stay in the main room to reflect on today's service or to accept an invitation to join one of our smaller social groups. I have one announcement today. Please fill out the WUU reopening survey this week to share your ideas questions and concerns as we prepare to reopen our building as soon as conditions allow. You will be asked about your preferences for online or in-person worship, plus the safety precautions that you help that will help you feel comfortable gathering in person if you wish. Your feedback is important. The survey link is in the weekly spiral email and paste it in the Zoom chat right here. Again, welcome. Here at WUU, we are committed to being an anti-racist, anti-oppressive congregation. We work to ensure that all people are treated with dignity, fairness, and equity. In our worship, we celebrate the contributions of people of diverse racial and ethnic backgrounds, genders, and sexual orientations. We are happy that you have joined us via live stream, audio, or video, or Zoom. Whether you have come seeking comfort, encouragement, or inspiration, you belong here. You are seen here, even if we cannot see you physically. Now I invite you to join in saying our welcoming words, and please, as you say these words, speak them to each other, and know that we are connected across the distance. The words are pasted into the Zoom chat. Let's say them in unison. Folks on Zoom, we will unmute you 
so that you can hear each other. Come, whatever you are, whatever you're in, you have the hope. Hi, I'm Nikki Pete, and I'm so pleased to be with you all today. There are many wonderful things to value in this world, many ideas and ideals. The most profound truths, in my experience at least, aren't found in the textbooks of philosophy or religion, but are known through a felt realization. Spiritual awakening is knowledge of a sacred truth at the bounds of sense and intuition, a truth that is almost unnameable and un unrepresentable. When we realize this sacred truth, we awaken. The experience of such truth transforms not only our own life, but also the lives of the people we love. Spiritual teachings are distinct from religious doctrine. Spiritual teachings encourage the spiritual seeker to explore the meaning of their own existence and to inquire into their own nature. No longer relying on authority for meaning, the spiritual seeker seeks to know the sacred nature of the depths of their own being. Through this personal experience, the spiritual seeker opens to the sacred nature of life. Spiritual symbols point the way to the felt realization of awakening. Spiritual symbols are the reflections of the sacred. Spiritual symbols guide us on a path of discovery to realize the sacred reality that is the ever-present ground of life and source of all regeneration, renewal, and spiritual growth. So in that vein, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the spiritual journey because that is the thrust of this message today. You may have um, known about Joseph Campbell, a great um, scholar on mythology, who in his book, The Hero with a Thousand pa uh, Faces, kind of spells out what the hero's journey looks like. He lists about 17, I won't list all of them. But first there's the call to adventure. A problem or threat interrupts the hero's normal life. Does that sound familiar? Then there's crossing the threshold. This is the point where the hero leaves on the journey. There are trials, the first step of the initiation stage, the hero undergoes and the beginning of the change in some aspect of the hero. They learn from their mistakes in this step. Then there's a meeting with the goddess. The hero meets the allies that will help them through their journey. There's an, a, a period of atonement. One of the major turning points of the story where the hero faces the ultimate reason for the journey. The hero might face a villain or even their own doubt. Then there's something called ap apotheosis. And from the previous step, the hero learns how they will face the rest of the journey. This is the moment that the hero gains profound understanding or knowledge that helps them to prevail. The ultimate boon, the final step of the initiation stage, this step is where the hero fulfills the reason for their journey. There is rescue from without. Again, an outside source or mentor works to guide them home and rescue them from those chasing them. Then there's crossing the threshold. 
The hero crosses back into their mundane world, but they are transformed and they acclimate back into their mundane life and are henceforward able to live peacefully. Thank you, Nikki. Now please join me in saying the words to light our chalice. If you have a chalice or candle handy nearby, please go ahead and light it now as we spotlight Susan Childs lighting a chalice. Again, we'll unmute you and say the words in unison. We light this chalice to the warmth of love, 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 the light, light of truth, for the energy and action, and for the harmony of peace. Good morning. I have a story for you today from the Mahabharata. And our quote begins thus, even if the lowliest of the low arrives as a guest, the householder should welcome them. In this timeless text, it's an, it's an instructive episode where um, Krishna comes to visit. And Krishna decides to play with his friends, but her, his friends are hungry. And that's the problem. And they say to him, oh, Krishna, like you have annihilated mighty demons tormenting us, so also save us from the pangs of hunger. Krishna ever the fulfiller of his devotees needs answered, go to the nearby hall where the learned Brahmins are performing a great ritual to attain heaven. Tell him that you have been sent by me and request them to give you some cooked rice. Obeying his instructions, the young lads went over to the hermitage and they went to the priests and requested, oh, venerable saints, we are the servants of Lord Krishna, who is playing with us nearby. He is now hungry and has asked us to seek food from you, the true knowers of Dharma. Ignorantly enraged by toilsome troubles and acts of everyday life, yet they're stuck in their textual wisdom. The Brahmins, though they heard the solicitations of the Lord, who out of grace sent his friends for food to them, the Brahmins did not heed their words. Disappointed, the hungry lads reported what had happened to Krishna, who laughing out loud said, okay, now go to the affectionate wives of these Brahmins and ask the same of them. They will definitely feed you to your heart's content. To those pious women, the lads respectfully submitted, salutations to you virtuous ladies. We have been, um, sent by Lord Krishna to seek food for our hungry group. No sooner had they heard that the Lord was so near, giving them an opportunity to fulfill his and his followers' hunger. The Brahmin women immediately gathered sumptuous food in large vessels and like rivers rushing towards the ocean, eagerly reached out to Krishna, welcoming him through the gates of their eyes establishing him into their hearts. Krishna first made his friends feast on the food and only afterwards did he partake himself. Later the saints remembering their uncharitable behavior lamented, oh, 
alas, we have disregarded the Lord who has taken the form of a human being. All our knowledge, vows, and pure birth are useless because due to pride, we were unable to recognize the divinity in humanity. This simple narrative has profound implication, alerting us to the realization that if we are lucky enough to have somebody needful at our threshold, it is perhaps God himself who has blessed us. Thus it is said, with a guest come all the gods. If a guest is honored, so are they. If he goes away disappointed, they are disappointed too. And so this story speaks so much, not to the planned guest, the one who makes plans to come visit us maybe a month in advance, lets us know their estimated time of arrival. No, this is about a guest who is unexpected and in need, knocks on our door and says, may I have a glass of water? May I have some rice? And the text says that when we give water, when we give rice, when we welcome the unexpected guest into our homes, that is serving Krishna. That is serving and honoring all the gods. May it be so. Thank you, Austin. Before we lead into a moment of meditation and prayer, I would like to reflect on my own experiences with the Williamsburg Buddhist Sangha. So last summer I heard about a book discussion group forming that would be uh, that I heard would be led by Ben Thacker Gwaltney and sponsored by the Williamsburg Buddhist Sangha. My involvement with the Sangha had been minimal up to this point. I'd gone to a few of their meditation sessions, always meant to one of those things I was meaning to do, kind of like losing weight or exercising daily. But it sounded intriguing. The book was going to be Mindful of Race, Transforming Racism from the Inside Out. Hmm, I wonder what that means, I thought. I had a feeling that Ben would be a great leader, and he was, by the way, so I joined up. Mindful of Race is written by Ruth King, a Buddhist, a teacher, and consultant who holds Mindful of Race training programs nationwide. Let me explain to you what they are. In her words, Mindful of Race training blends mindfulness and meditation principles with an exploration of our racial conditioning, its impact and our potential. Ruth King boldly declares that racism is a heart disease that's curable and then guides us on a journey to healing and racial harmony. There was no need to rush this work. Indeed, this work cannot be rushed any more than you can, than you can rush through meditation. We started meeting through Zoom in July, every Tuesday evening, and went all through the fall and the winter and just finished up in April. That in itself is extraordinary. We began with about 20 to 25 participants, but as the months went by, some had to drop out so that by the end, we were down to about six to 12, depending upon the night. Each week we followed King's wise and provocative writings through reading, discussing, questioning, reflecting, sometimes meditating. We explored issues such as habits of harm, 
historical racial trauma, how we're shaped by our conditioning and dominance and subordination of groups. One of the interesting takeaways for me was her point that white people don't readily identify with their dominant group identity. They don't think of themselves as white. Most of us, regardless of our race, we identify more immediately with our subordinated status. You know, who loves, who, uh, who doesn't love the underdog? We identify with, let's as, as for instance, as gay or as a woman or perhaps Jewish or a time when one felt less than others. White individuals are often unaware of their dominant group identity as white and how other races may be reacting to that identity in a group. When that happens, King explains, when white individuals are not aware of their membership in a white racial group, for example, in a leadership position, when they have not examined what it means to be white with other white people, then they're able to maintain themselves as good individuals. Therefore, maintaining their dominant group status without being aware of or responsible for its collective impact on other races. This is how racism is perpetuated, the privilege of not knowing or caring. The group went on to explore, among other things, cultivating moral character, cultivating compassion for others and for ourselves, practicing kindness and curiosity, how to talk to our children, getting political, we learned about talking about what disturbs you and learning to befriend the racial distress that we are feeling. I'd like to read a section from the book about this. Ruth King says, we befriend racial distress by allowing present moment awareness to permeate the ter territory of tightness. We pay attention without interference, without judgment, and without wishing things were other than they are. We allow the disturbance to be intimately known. We give it our kind attention. We reduce mental effort and urgency, keeping the body as relaxed as possible and the heart open. You can see the influence of Buddhism. Ben had asked Mary McGovern and Daryl Key to be co-leaders, both Buddhists. Mary is white, Daryl black, the only black member of our group. Throughout our discussions, Daryl was so encouraging. He'd be like, keep asking those questions, Nan, or I'm just listening, sometimes gently reminding you that his experience may have been different from my white reality. It was a safe place to work through difficult topics. As a participant, I always felt that I was heard and appreciated. People were kind, thoughtful, insightful, when our group came to the conclusion of the book, we found that we had formed strong attachments and wanted to continue in some form. So for the last month, we've been studying James Baldwin, which has been terrific and sometimes mind-blowing. We have found that his words resonate today as strongly as they did 50 years ago. Our next book is about healing practices for intergenerational trauma. It's My Grandmother's Hands, Racialized Trauma, and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies by Resma Menachem. We are opening it up to more people in the community, which we includes, we hope, some of you from WUU. It's not too late to join. We've changed the meeting time to Tuesdays from noon to one 
so that working folks can join us during their lunch hour. If you're looking for something more open-ended, another multiracial group is starting up June 7th, also at noon, with the topic, Let's Talk About Race. This, will, this group will be meeting once a month, first Monday of the month. So go to the website at WilliamsburgBuddhistSangha.org for more info and to sign up. It's definitely worth it. Thank you. I invite you now to join in a spirit of meditation, reflection, and prayer. Let us open our hearts to the joys and sorrows of our lives, our community, our world the ebb and flow of life. There is always so much. We keep everyone in our thoughts, keeping them in the light, holding sacred space for all those suffering with concerns of all kinds. Now, as we move into a period of meditation, we can consider the words of John Saxon a religious community is like a river formed from the many streams of our lives that meet and merge and flow to the sea. And now I invite you to call on your image of the holy, of the sacred, as we enter into a time of shared silence with the sound of the ringing of the bowl. Blessed be, and let us seal this time of meditation and prayer with a song. My life flows on in endless song above earth's lamentation. I hear the Songs of the night it given. 
Sunday, we make an offering from the bounty we are blessed to enjoy. We do so in a spirit of generosity and in recognition of our ongoing commitment to serve our world and share our values. If you are joining us for the first time, please feel free to give if you wish, and also know that your presence is gift enough. This week's offering goes to the Minister's Charitable Giving Fund. Your gifts this morning will help people in our congregation and in the larger community who need short-term help, paying rent and other essential expenses. With your gifts, you are sheltering homeless families, paying utility bills in the cold of winter and offering hope in times of despair. If you'd like to give through our website, please visit wuu.org and click on Give Online to WUU. If you'd like to give by text, please text the dollar amount of your gift to 757-500-0688. That's 757-500-0688 and follow the prompts from there. Or if you prefer to give by check, please mail your check to WUU 3051 Ironbound Road, Williamsburg, Virginia 23185. Thank you so much. Pima Chodron is an American Tibetan Buddhist. She is an ordained nun and principal teacher at the Gampo Abbey in Nova Scotia. The following reading is an excerpt from an article that appeared in the Buddhist publication Tricycle. The article was titled, The Fundamental Ambiguity of Being Human. She has this to say, as human beings, we share a tendency to scramble for certainty. Where, whenever we realize that everything around us is in flux. In difficult times, the stress of trying to find solid ground, something predictable to stand on, seems to intensify, but in truth, the very nature of our existence is forever in flux. Everything keeps changing, whether we're aware of it or not. What a predicament. We seem doomed to suffer simply because we have a deep-seated fear of how things really are. Our attempts to find lasting pleasure, lasting security, 
are at odds with the fact that we're a part of a dynamic system in which everything is and everyone is in process. So this is where we find ourselves, right in the middle of a dilemma. And it leaves us with some provocative questions. How can we live wholeheartedly in the face of impermanence, knowing that one day we're going to die? What is it like to realize that we can never completely and finally get it all together? Is it possible to increase our tolerance for instability and change? How can we make friends with unpredictability and uncertainty and embrace them as vehicles to transform our lives? The Buddha called impermanence one of the three distinguishing marks of existence, an incontrovertible fact of life, but it's something we seem to resist pretty strongly. We think that if we did this or didn't do that, somehow we could achieve a secure, dependable, controllable life. How disappointed we are when things don't work out quite the way we planned. But it's not impermanence per se, or even knowing we're going to die, that is the cause of our suffering. The Buddha taught, rather, it's our resistance to the fundamental uncertainty of our situation. Our discomfort arises from all of our efforts to put ground under our feet, to really realize our dream of constant okayness. <laughs> when we resist change, it's called suffering. But when we can completely let go and not struggle against it, when we can embrace the ground, groundlessness of our situation and relax into its dynamic quality, that's called enlightenment or awakening to our true nature, to our fundamental goodness. Another word for this is freedom. Freedom from struggling against the fundamental ambiguity of being human. Thank you, John. Remember the scene in The Wizard of Oz when Dorothy's dog Toto pulled back the curtain on the grand and glorious Wizard of Oz? In a second, the wizard lost all of his power and bluster, becoming an ordinary stammering guy. He's caught in the glare of truth like a deer in the headlights, his true identity revealed. Yet once he's an ordinary guy, he agrees to help her get back home. He hands the scarecrow an honorary degree for proof of his brains, the Tin Man a humanitarian award to show he has a compassionate big heart, and to the endearing cowardly lion, he gives a medal of bravery, granting his desire for courage. Then he offers Dorothy a ride back to Kansas in its hot air balloon. At the last minute, Dorothy jumps from the balloon gondola to chase Toto 
and the balloon floats up without her. Standing in desperation, she fears she'll never get back home. But the good witch Glinda shows up. She flies in to tell her that she has the power to get back home all along. Not Glinda, but Dorothy. Clicking the heels of her ruby red slippers, she makes the harrowing journey home to her beloved Auntie M and Uncle Henry. You may be wondering, what does unveiling charlatans have to do with rivers and crossing from one side to the other, or even with Buddhist teachings for that matter? Well, Buddhist philosophy is, is very practical with a lot to say about freedom, truth, recognizing delusions and the nature of reality. But why was it that it was only after discovering his true nature that the wizard became helpful? When the COVID shutdown started in March, 2020, like many people, I was scared. This past year of isolation, uncertainty, loneliness, not being able to see family, not being able to sit with a dying relative connected to life only through a hospital ventilator. There's been grief, anger, an incompetent response to the tenacity of COVID-19, to addressing the death toll, 589,000 deaths in the US, 3.46 million worldwide. It has felt like a version of the apocalypse to me. The question, will it ever end, is still a really very real question. I have wondered if the human population will survive this confluence of disease, climate change, racial tension, anti-immigrant sentiment, Middle East tensions, intractable views. You all know the drill. Then came the vaccine and the controversy about who would take it and who wouldn't. While great progress is being made, it's still a deep dive. And as John alluded, things change in Buddhism, impermanence, the first mark of existence. The second of the marks of existence tells us life is unsatisfactory, life is suffering. Checkmark on that score for the pandemic but it's also the third mark of existence, no self or non-self, which seems to be the most liberating aspect of thinking of the pandemic and the path forward, enlightening the path forward. A more modern way of thinking of this is to reduce our sense of self, our ego, to become less self-centered and more altruistic. Like the Wizard of Oz, whether we want to admit it or not, we think of ourselves and our identity as more or less fixed, stable and solid our whole life long. But is that true? For many humans, life is about what we want, what outcomes we expect, the best things we can give for our immediate families. Even so, there are so many heroes to thank, thank, thinking in particular of the medical community, the doctors, nurses, all of the medical personnel who risk their lives on a daily basis to serve and take care of the sick and dying. Especially today, you are remembered and thanked. When the shutdown started, all sorts of information came to the surface about the nature of American culture and history, 
that had been obscured from many citizens' view. Things like the seeming resurgence of racism in our country, how our American value of rugged individualism had shaped a society that all too often values personal freedom over freedom over dedication to the good of all. Mindsets that like pushing back the curtain, unveiling the grand and glorious wizard, these hidden facts were exposed to the open daylight, which begs the question, how do we expose our hidden selves? Give up our arrogance that we are in control of everything. How do we drop our wizard acts and start making more authentic life-affirming choices? As we prepare to open, what do we want our new reality to look like? Because there's so much disagreement nationally about the next steps, just as the world changed when we went into lockdown, we will also emerge from isolation into a very different reality. As Dorothy says, there's no place like home. Here home as a metaphor for a place of safety, refuge, belonging, ease, joy, and health a place of compassion, somewhere where if you've got to go there, they've got to take you in. Have we ever had a safe sanctuary? I don't pretend to have any answers. Like most paths in life, we will fumble our way through, finding our own safety wherever we can, insecure in the knowledge that there is no such thing as absolute security, Nothing lasts, life is difficult, and a lot of our miseries because we humans tend to focus on our rather small selves. Currently, the teachers who volunteer for the Sangha community hold a group leading study of the beautiful Heart Sutra, recently updated for greater clarity by Thich Nhat Hanh. The other shore with its emphasis on finding the insight that leads to the other shore. Here's where the idea of crossing the river comes into play. Just imagine any place next to a body of water. The place we inhabit has lots of challenges and difficulties. We may or may not see the need to face the harder realities like Cassandra of great myth being truthful, being the messenger of truth, might totally backfire on us in the biggest possible way. We may find it easier to stay put, to stay in our comfort zone, no matter how miserable it feels. At least we know what to expect. The Heart Sutra, we try to get to the heart of the problem, the core of the problem. Our vantage point is one of deep insecurity, feeling like in truth, we have no idea what's coming over the horizon. We feel as if we have no ground to, stand, ground to stand on, but that's actually okay. Insecurity can motivate us to expand our horizons, to move to a place where we accept the truth that nothing ever stays the same. We bring most of our own suffering on ourselves and we humans individually are constantly in flux as well. We know instinctively that if we can reach the other side, the other shore, we will find freedom from self-inflicted suffering. Going to the other shore, meaning going to a place of greater awareness, including coming awake to our own true nature. We long to get to the other shore and discover how interconnected we all are to each other. 
how much we depend on and need each other. We yearn to put hatred and prejudice behind us. And this may mean leaving our comfortable perches to help others in need, letting go of toxic emotions like hatred, jealousy, and greed, to cross over into a territory of compassion. The good news is that this territory of the other shore is wide open and spacious like the sky, but we'll need a sound boat to carry us. Wisdom tells us that we're all just regular people. Experience has exposed the truth that as individuals, we are neither special nor superior. We are regular people and we are all in the same boat. We count on each other, not just for survival, but now for our very existence. There are many causes and conditions that had to be in place so that we could even be born. The odds that we are fortunate enough to be here to live a conscious human life is nothing short of miraculous. I read now from another excerpt from the Tricycle Magazine by Danan Katagiri Roshi, who encourages us to practice from a broader perspective. He writes, it is very important to see your life not only from the narrow view of your egotistic telescope, but also from the broad view of the universal telescope called egolessness. This is why we have to practice. He goes on to say, this journey from one shore to the other is a spiritual journey. You could even call it a vision quest, a warrior's path, a dark night of the soul, depending on your tradition. We humans think of time in the common sense, running chronologically as a stream from the past through the present to the future. Our idea of time depends on the law of cause and effect. If someone hits you, you feel pain. So your human consciousness creates an idea of time that connects the past, present, and future. Then you believe that time is passing quickly and is characterized in part by the continuous existence of separate beings moving through birth, old age, sickness, and death. Yet he says this is a narrow understanding of time. This concept creates lots of problems and lots of suffering because when you think about time that way, you become egotistical. You believe that another person's time is separate from yours and that you only have to take care of your own time. Then you feel isolated and cold. You don't feel a warm relationship with other people or beings, and you can easily hurt them and yourself in the process, a kind of every human for herself mentality. But when we see human life, yet when we see human life from that narrow view of time, we're blind to the total picture of time. This is a big problem. It's like always climbing a mountain and never seeing the mountain from a distance. Sometimes to understand the life of the mountain, you have to see the beauty of the mountain as a whole, connected with the clouds and the sky. We cannot ignore or escape from the stream of time. We must be there, but we needn't be blind. Another teacher te teaching, a Buddhist teaching of Shobo Genzo, Uji, which means being slash time, Dogen Renji says, Open your eyes and let's see time from a different angle. When you see your life from the broad view of time, you see that your life is not something separate from time. Your life is time. 
It's very important to see your life not only from the narrow view of your egotistic telescope, but also from the broad view of the universal telescope called egolessness. This is why we practice. Right in the middle of the stream of time, we have to open our eyes and see the total picture of time. Through spiritual practice, we can go beyond our egotistic point of view. We can touch the core of time, see the whole world in a moment, and understand time in deep relationship with all beings. Then we can't be isolated and cold people. We become beautiful and warm people, appreciating and helping all beings. Crossing over into reopening after a year of seclusion requires a broader perspective. But the good news is that this territory of the other shore is wide open and spacious like the sky. Buddhists call this sky-like space emptiness, but it doesn't mean empty of content, the kind of emptiness that has nothing in it. For Buddhists, it has no such meaning. It's spacious like the sky full of infinite potential and possibilities. When we return to an open society, we will need the same wisdom as the scarecrow, a compassionate heart like the tin man and the courage, resolve and resilience of the cowardly lion. According to the Heart Sutra and venturing out in a sound craft, we're able to drop our egos, hopefully. And as the 13th century Turkish poet, Jalaluddin Rumi said, out beyond right doing and wrongdoing, there's a field. I'll meet you there. Moving forward on this earth requires us to meet and consider new possibilities, not grounding ourselves in outmoded beliefs and biases. When we arrive to the other shore, we see our true selves for the first time. The good witch Glenda tells Dorothy that the ruby slippers she's worn since the journey began will take her home. It was a delusion that she needed anyone else to bring her to refuge. And remember the classic rock group America singing, Oz didn't never give nothing to the Tin Man that he didn't already have. I also recall Nelson Mandela's words upon his release from prison. He says, or said, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. Amen and blessed be. Now let us say the words to extinguish the chalice. And we invite you to blow out your candle at the same time. We will paste the words in the Zoom chat. Again, we'll say them in unison. We extinguish this flame, not the light of knowledge, the warmth of the fire of so I invite everyone to hold your hands up and imagine that someone's standing next to you and you're holding their hands in this community. Soon, hopefully, we'll be able to do that in person. And as you go, may the light of hope shine on you and love shine on you. And from the Buddhist tradition, Meta.
This is not just for us here, but for everyone everywhere. May you be safe. May you know happiness and the causes of happiness. May you be at peace. May you be kind. May you live your life with ease. Thank you for being here.